literally, yeah. literally put tables in front of the doors Ugh. to trap these kids in these there. These people are so broken. Oh, because <laughs> they weren't wearing masks. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And welcome to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. My name is Joe Arnold, the proud host of our roundtables with uh, Scott's podcast here. And Scott, I am so excited for all the new listeners who are joining us. I was talking to actually to my sister in Nebraska uh, earlier today, and she was talking about all the people and some of the teachers there in her hometown to, uh, that are that are joining the podcast here. And so, a shout out to our friends in the Cornhusker State. Welcome, Nebraska. Yeah, part, part, part of flyover country, and we're we're pleased to be here. But at the same time, I'm realizing Scott that a lot of us, a lot of people who are joining us the last couple of weeks or so, might not know. Who the heck we are? Yeah, uh, I will also say after we had Governor Kevin Stitt from Oklahoma on the show the other day, uh, I noticed we a lot of folks in Oklahoma were listening to the show. So thanks to Governor Stitt for coming on, and welcome, uh, welcome uh, to all the folks out out in, in true flyover country uh, out there. And and uh, and yeah, it it's been a good few months. So we get a lot of good feedback, a lot of new listeners. Um, really glad for the way these conversations are developing and. And, you know, the team that we've assembled, uh, Kevin Grout is here this week. Hello, Kevin. Nice uh, you know, Kevin is a talented writer. We work together in the public relations space here in, uh, at our firm in Kentucky. Kevin is our resident Washington, D.C. expert, spent many years on the Hill, uh, including as a speechwriter for Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell. So really, Kevin, thank you. And, and we're relying on your uh, Senate and congressional expertise on a lot of these conversations. Jared Crawford is here, public policy maven, spent many years uh, uh, in the um, uh, conservative public policy space, and uh, we rely on his uh, research skills and technical production skills. Jared also works here in the PR space with us in Kentucky. Really glad, glad for you both. Joe, uh, this has been, um, you and I have talked about doing something like this for, for a long time, and yeah. so the last few months doing it with you, you, you know, you had such a uh, just several decades in broadcasting, radio, TV, and uh, I'm decades with an S on the end. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pointing to my gray hair uh, here in the studio. But, but I just think you have you have really brought a lot of good structure to these conversations, and we're getting a lot out of it. So thanks. So, I just wanted to personally thank you all for doing it. So Scott, everyone sees Scott, and those folks who are joining us, most folks who join us in the flyover country with Scott Jennings, know Scott from his appearances most recently, last few years on CNN as a yep. big political contributor there, but previous networks as well before all of that, and they, they're familiar with that. But, you know, Scott, of course, a longtime Republican operative and leader, and now he's teaching at Harvard, among other places like that. But back in the day, when Scott was a University of Louisville student and I was a radio host, Scott actually was the newscaster, was a journalist. He won awards in journalism. That's true. At the time for WHAS Radio. At the time, I was on the other side of the microphone as a as a as a talk show host, kind of reprising what we're doing right here. Anyway, so it all comes around. I I never thought I would look so wistfully on the days when I literally made less than minimum wage for doing that job. But I have to tell you, it was one of the best jobs. I mean, doing the news at that station, doing it with you. We had a, you had a great show. You had terrific guests. You put a lot of time into it. Uh, more than a, more than a lot of folks do, and and it was a really it was a really forming experience for me, and I I learned a lot there. It's just so interesting to me, and we'll get to the news of the day here in a moment. It's just interesting to me that podcasts 
It's almost like people, and maybe no offense, Kevin and Jared, young people that are in the room with us here, no offense to you, Scott. Anyway, but the fact that it's almost like, hey, we invented this new thing. I'm like, no, this radio thing has been around for a few years. It's just a different way of delivering it. And it's great, though, to have this on demand now and be able to do these podcasts and concentrate on some of the news of the day, including, let's talk, Scott, about this. I, I you know, so much in the news uh, as of late about the Republican National Committee voting to censure um, Liz, Liz, first name, Liz, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger uh, on the January 6th uh, committee here. And a lot of backs and forths about all of this. It's my contention in all of this that this is an unforced error by the RNC, clumsily worded at best. And, of course, there's these words that will be hung around the every Republican's neck uh, for the – you know, for the duration of the midterms is you know, legitimate political discourse. Um, I do want to play a, a, a soundbite from Mitch McConnell where he kind of responds to this. Then I want to hear your response, okay? Yep. So let's hear from Mitch McConnell talking on the Hill on Tuesday about the RNC's uh, the vote to censure these two and what, in fact, happened on January 6th. Well, let me give you my view of what happened January the 6th. And we're all... We're here. We're here. We, we, we saw what happened. It was a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimately certified election from one administration to the next. That's what it was. With regard to the suggestion that the RNC should be in the business of picking and choosing Republicans who ought to be supported, uh, traditionally, the view of the National Party committees is that we support all members of our party, regardless of their p- positions on some issues. Do you have confidence in her, Ron McDaniels, chairman of the committee? Uh, I, I, I do, but the, the issue is whether or not the RNC should be sort of singling out members of our party who may have different views from the majority. That's not the job of the RNC. So two different things there, Scott, I'll start with. Number one is that Mitch McConnell has been consistent since actual the actual date, January 6th, on 2021, when this first happened, calling it an insurrection that day yeah. and, and calling it out. And I find it interesting, the fact that some people aren't uh, satisfied unless maybe you're repeating it every day. Well, he, he has made his feelings clear and consistently clear, but he hasn't dwelled on it every day because, A, there are other issues that have to be dealt with in the country, and B, um, you know, part of his job as Senate Republican leader is to try to keep this party uh, in a place to, to, to win elections coming this coming November. And so if you were just thinking of it from a pure political, tactical perspective, what should the Republican Party be talking about on any given day? Inflation, chaos at the border, um, you know, all of the, the incompetence from the Biden administration, you know, you name it, crime, schools, masks, you know, still strapping masks on our four-year-olds, you know, when we drop them off at preschool. There's a, whole, there's a whole litany of issues on which to run a race. And this resolution opened up an entire, reopened up an entire debate that the Republicans do not want to be the centerpiece of this election. But how many, you know, we spent several days on it, still going on. If they had just actually passed a resolution censuring Kinzinger and Cheney, who, by the way, 
I mean, it's absolutely true. They are enormously unpopular in the Republican Party right now, and I, I get that, and, and that's, a, that's a valid opinion. You don't, you don't like it. They're helping Nancy Pelosi. Totally valid opinion. But they, st- they stuck in that phrase, legitimate political discourse, and, and I was just baffled, baffled that nobody at the leadership of the RNC saw that and said, this, this could turn into a problem. Now, I, d- I do want to say a word about Ronna McDaniel, the chairman of the RNC. I actually think she's doing a terrific job. I think she has managed this committee really well over the last several years. Chaotic time, bizarre circumstances, the Trump presidency. They've raised a ton of money. They've had massive advances in ground game technology, data acquisition and application of that in, in the field of politics. Been real leaders on evolving the RNC to compete with, you know, in the modern sort of political campaign space. So I, I really think Ronna McDaniel has done a really, really good job. I agree with you that this is a total unforced error. And I just tend to look at things through the lens of strategy and strategically republicans do not should not cannot run this midterm or even the 2024 campaign on the semantics around january 6th or on relitigating the 2020 election that would be a really really stupid idea now trump wants to but that's not what's best for the republican party and i think and i'll stop here and let the fellows comment but to me the point mcconnell was making was party committees here do not exist to put us in a bad position. They exist to help us win elections. They exist to, to serve as an infrastructure for all of us, the, the incumbent Republicans, to win elections. And you cannot argue this resolution helped Republicans win elections. And so I know why he said what he said. Uh, and I know that the media wants to sort of, you know, position it. It's, you know, he's, he's feuding with, with Chairwoman McDaniel. I don't think that's true. But I do think what he, he supported said, her. He, yeah, I mean, to me that was that was, and he didn't equivocate. He did not. He, he's, I do. You know, yeah. that was. I mean, but it's pretty simple. Yeah, he's very straightforward when mm-hmm. he means it. But but I think I think what he also wanted to just do is put these committees on notice. Like, listen, you know, you're not here to make policy or to set my communication strategy, and you're not here to interrupt whatever any individual Republican campaign needs to be doing on a given day. In the last five or six days, if you're a Republican running for office and you walk out of your front door in the morning, would you rather be asked about inflation and the border crisis, or would you rather be talking about some arcane resolution passed at the party committee meeting? Well, of course the answer is clear. And so I, I think it was also a warning, like, okay, you screwed this one up. Don't do it again, because we have this amazing environment, and the only way we don't win back to Congress is if we keep stepping on our own you-know-whats. And that's exactly what we did here. You know, it's, it's interesting, too, of course, is that to your point, Scott, is that the other part of this is the relitigation of the election. Yeah. And you are I'm still seeing some news accounts here and there of maybe Peter Navarro and some other ones still saying, well, we still were legitimately looking into this. And we had a real reason to have a strategy here to try to overturn some of these things. And like so McConnell said something else very important in there in terms of that statement is a, a legitimately certified election. Yeah, and and it and it was. I mean, courts did look into it. So, and the Congress right. voted and the 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 election was certified. I mean, every, everything of the machinery of our democracy including including the allowance of Donald Trump to bring a number of actions in front of a number of courts, that all occurred. And so 
I, I think I think McConnell was trying to make the point, like at some at, at some juncture, the the voters are going to expect us to talk about uh, something other than the past. I don't mean to monopolize Kevin and Jerry, so pop in, but this goes back to even during the debate over impeachment or not after January sixth. That again, going back to McConnell, and he's he's the guy to go back and kind of follow this whole very principled approach to all of this. Remember, he didn't impeach. He said, you know, he said, believe in the courts as far as there is. In other words, Donald Trump and his campaign, they should have an avenue to contest election results. It's called the courts. It went through that. They certified it. I mean, they, they basically dismissed those complaints and you moved on. And by the way, McConnell was pilloried. At the right. time, McConnell right. said, I think if you have legitimate concerns, right. any any candidate should be able to avail themselves of right. the courts. And they pilloried McConnell. Right. The, the media was all over him for that. He, he has just consistently supported the machinery of our Constitution. That's it. That's the only thing he has done is supported right. the machinery and the institutions but you that have we you, have all along relied. But you have emotions on both sides which don't want to basically rely upon this thing called the Constitution because they're more interested in outcomes than they are in process. It's, it's just a lot of trying to settle scores, and that's not what the RNC should be doing, like you said. That's not what's going to help Republicans going into this election year. Um, I think, Scott, you said it just right that the environment is so, so good for Republicans that legitimately the Democrats can't win the 2022 election, but Republicans sure can't lose it. Yes. And it's actually or, or, or at least we can mute right. our, our gains. I mean, did you know, by the way, that if you add the Republican wins in the House from 2020, if you just added 18 more seats, so if we were to just net 18 out this year, which is really doable, mm-hmm. that would be the equivalent majority to what we got in 94. I mean, think about that. What, you know, remember, the wave, people are wondering, are we going to have a wave? No, no. The wave already started. It mm-hmm. started in the 2020 down ballots. Right. And it started in the, in the House elections. And so, Kevin, I think you're so right. The, the only thing that we can do is lose it to ourselves, you know, dribble the ball out of bounds. And, and, and we have to, you know, we have to be smart about this. And, and I, I think that's what, you know, McConnell is so dumbfounded by is, look, I'm scraping and clawing to put you all back in power. Don't get in my way. I also saw that, I guess this is a, an aside that, uh, those folks who follow the gerrymandering or the, or the redistricting of, of the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of, Already uh, buying uh, into the narrative. Yeah. No, it's on both sides. No, no, saying, no. The gerrymandering has gone one way this that, time around. That's what brother. I'm saying is, it's, the, my <laughs> right. point being is, is, basically it's a net gain for Democrats Yeah. in, in 2022. 20, uh, so that is kind of uh, in the face of, or in uh, uh, you know, the, the headwind, if you will, of the, uh, of the way of the other direction. You know what's amazing, by the way? If you, like, the, the fighting over the word insurrection... Right. You know, it drives these people crazy. The actual definition of insurrection is very simple. A violent uprising against an authority or government. That's it. Now, I saw the same video you all saw. People smashing windows, whacking on the police, you know, rushing into restricted, you know, storming the Capitol. I mean, it was a violent uprising against the government. People threatening to drag Mike Pence and others through the streets. I mean, it... The, the the definition tonight as we're recording this McConnell you know CNN did a piece on this and you know they're they're quoting these other Republicans well it wasn't an insurrection it was it was something else and then they try to thread these stupid you know semantic needles or you know split these non-existent hairs it 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 doesn't matter what you call it because the video doesn't change call it an insurrection call it a riot call it a whatever 
The video is the video, which we've all seen. And right. it's not the semantics of this are not going to matter unless you go out and try to convince people it didn't really happen, which is what I fear some Republicans are doing. When you say, when you, where you get in trouble in politics is when you try to convince people of, what the, of something that's just, you know, don't believe your own eyes. And I think that's what's happening here. It, it reminds me of the riots uh, during last summer when I think, I, I forget what station it was, but there was a reporter doing a hit saying mostly peaceful riots where there was fire. burning fire yeah. behind mostly him. Peaceful, yeah. Republicans across the country, up and down the ladder, criticized the riots, said that more needed to be done to keep the peace throughout the country and support the police. And now they're walking away from that. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. They need to support that across the board and be talking about things like violence still going on in the country. Last year, the number of uh, cop killings went up 60%. It's at a two-decade high. Why aren't we talking about that? Now, you, you just brought up, Kevin, an issue that I think is so central to what McConnell was saying today. And, and he said this um, to CNN, and I just want to read the direct quote. This is pretty simple, McConnell said. We are in the middle of a national crime wave. The Republican Party is a pro-police, tough-on-crime party, and I am a pro-police, tough-on-crime Republican across the board. That is the Republican message. It has been the Republican message. It was really the Republican message during the riots that you brought up. And to try to carve this out doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You either are pro-police and anti-mob violence, or you're not. And I, I I, I just think McConnell's consistency on this is so admirable, but it's also a good North Star for this party, which is, why can't we just be pro-police and anti-mob? It's very simple. Crazy. You know, the name that hasn't been actually uttered so far is Donald Trump. And he's the person, frankly, that is still leading that other portion of the party, and maybe the energy of the party. It's the ones who demanded that that RNC uh, resolution be put in there in the first place. And he's somebody who puts up with violence. Well, this is, but this is also the political environment in which he thrives. When you have infighting and sort of internal chaos and it's a, and it's a little bit, you know, people triangulating against it, like this kind of internal political chaos in, in this, he thrives. And it's, it's how he won the nomination in 16. And you know, how many, almost 20 candidates, a lot of internal, you know, it was really chaotic. And out of that, he was able to thrive. And so his his continued attempts to create this kind of chaos, I mean, it, it, it is to his benefit. And I, as a strategic matter, I, I get it. As a party matter, it makes no sense. And that here, it, I mean, it, there's an existential question here. What is the purpose of a political party? In my view, a political party exists to help candidates who have signed up to run under that party's banner win elections. That's it. But a lot of Trump, Trump, and I think a lot of his supporters view political parties as something different. Winning is secondary to messaging. And and essentially, let's all get together oh. and make a list of people we hate right. and screw right. them. And well, that, that is that to me, it happens. I don't but that's Donald, not the primary focus. But Donald Trump does not care about any plank on any platform. Donald Trump cares Clearly, because there was only. no platform right, last right. time. <laughs> what I'm saying is the, the party for him, he does believe in the party should, in, should win elections, but only his election and not anybody else's. Well, that yes, I mean it, it is a it is a personal, yes. you know, it is a selfish item. But but parties, by definition, are groups no, I, of people. I, 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 <laughs> and, no, no, I right. agree with you. I agree with you. But it's it's of course, and not that you know, this is speaking of relitigating as far as what happened on January sixth. There is 
and I'm not trying to split hairs here, Scott, to your point. It's very clear that there was crime and violence against police, and it was intolerable, and it was criminal, and, and it should not be. And it should be investigated. And every person who broke into the Capitol, any person who injured a police officer I'm or whatever. very excited should... for the butt here. I'm <laughs> yeah. very excited. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But <laughs> Donald Trump. Hold on, hold on. Do you want to unfurl? Your Gadsden flag <laughs> no, before or after all. you make this no. point. <laughs> there were a lot Joe's of people. Putting on a red truck. There were a lot of people who were misled by the president that day. A lot of people who were who who followed foolishly to the Capitol and got themselves into a position that I don't think that they were there. The people there were many people there who weren't armed with bear spray and clubs and and had the had the uh, intention in going in. Now, if you enter the Capitol that day, you're an idiot. And there's no excuse for what you did. But I'm saying is I think they were they were caught up in the moment by a, a narcissistic president who who was who who he loved it. But I I'll just play I'll just take the other side of this. If you are standing in a crowd of people, and let's just say you were standing outside of any building, not the US Capitol, and some of the people started to smash the windows or beat up the security guards. Or ram over the bicycle rack that's clearly designed to keep you from going across a certain point. Right. And, you, and you cannot exercise the judgment to say, maybe I should turn around and go the other direction. Right. Not only are you an idiot, you deserve what you get. It's, it's no. called mob mentality for a reason. No, when you're I, in the again, middle of a mob. I agree with all of you, but I'm saying is a lot of factors contributed to oh, the dynamic true. that it, day. It's totally and, true. And, 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 and I, by I, the way, there were thousands of people in Washington that day who literally went for a rally mm-hmm. and did not go to the Capitol. Right. Weren't anywhere near it. And, and, and I understand that some of what's going on here is they're trying to delineate between the people who went for a rally and who didn't go up there, but but they didn't put that in the resolution. I agree they, with they, you. They totally the messed problem. that up. They messed the whole thing up. And but they also invite the, the problem is is that because there are people more interested in partisan gains than by actual seeking the truth, and the same thing goes with the January sixth committee. And there are there are certainly other ends here or motivations there beyond which getting to the truth of what happened that day. In my opinion, I think that there are people who, because what you saw during Build Back Better, basically you you saw the argument there is to say the reason we need the John Lewis Voting Rights Act is because of January sixth. I'm oh. saying is there, I'm, there, there there are people you're going to use this, but so this is the, where where people get agitated is to say I agree with you that every person who committed a crime should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, and we decry violence against all people, especially against our law enforcement, but. Don't try to use that against if, – if somebody, for instance, if somebody was at the White House that day and was in Washington, D.C. and didn't even go to the Capitol, or did that person – what? there are people who would say that person is a white supremacist, that person is a, you know, is a rioter, and they should also be prosecuted. And that's and, wrong. Right. There, there are people who back during the summer protests that you mentioned, Kevin, who – if you went on TV and said, hey, th- this doesn't look so peaceful to me, you know, immediately you'd be shouted down by five. Well, 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 a majority of the people were not burning buildings. We're not commit. You were immediately corrected that, oh, well, well, most of the people mm-hmm. were OK. So so the prevailing so the prevailing narrative was protests are good. You know the bad apples in the bunch are bad, but you can't you can't taint the whole movement over a few bad actors. That that was the prevailing narrative to smooth over what was clearly mob violence. The the January sixth they're not getting that same treatment. Right. 
the 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 bad apples are are sort of the defining people from that day and and so it it, it there is a difference in narrative but but all of that having been said there's no way just like there's no way to look at videos of burning buildings and say that's peaceful there's no way to look at videos of that capital and not say a this is clearly by definition an insurrection and b anybody out there beating on the police needs to have the book thrown at them mm-hmm. and right. if you are out there sort of saying, you know, trying to, to, to place semantics on this for for your own, like, selfish, personal, political gain, I just think people see through it. I mean, truthfully, I, I, I think people see through these things, and I, I think the people who are out thinking they're doing something good politically today by trying to split these hairs, long run, there's no benefit to you to do that, in my opinion. Let me share with you, uh, because we haven't had a podcast, the roundtable at least, since the prayer breakfast when President Biden spoke about his old friend Mitch McConnell. Majority Leader Schumer, Mitch McConnell. Mitch, I don't want to hurt your reputation, but we really are friends. <laughs> and uh, and that is not a, an epiphany we're having here at the moment. We've always, you've always done exactly what you've said. You're a man of word, your word, and you're a man of honor. Thank you for being my friend. So interesting development there, and of course. Twitter went apoplectic, <laughs> you know, uh, with 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 yeah. Biden actually. You, complimenting. You, mean, you mean that the the reaction to that wasn't measured and thoughtful on Twitter? <laughs> I'm I'm stunned. But Kevin, as a veteran of of Senator McConnell's office, uh, and I'm of course I'm a veteran of the journalism covering the the senator. I thought what Biden said there was it was very short, of course, and beyond basically being you know being a friend, was the fact that if Mitch McConnell says he's going to do something. It means he's going to do it, right. and he's very forthright and very. Now, people on the on different, basically, folks on the Trump side don't like what he has to say. Folks on the, the uh, Schumer side or Biden side don't like like what he has to say, or the progressives. But ultimately, I think coming out of all this, is sort of my first point with all this is that McConnell is sort of like the one constant or consistent voice through this entire situation. You're you're 100 right. He he's was consistent on January 6th and on the election. And he's, he's consistent in any of his negotiations. I mean, when he was vice president, Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell were the ones usually hammering out the deals at the end of the day. I think it was because there could be trust on both sides of the table. And I mean, even, even for the things that the liberals will excoriate McConnell for, he's going to tell them what he's going to do. And when he puts it out there, you, you can take that to the bank. He's going to do it. It's what made him a great boss and uh, a, a great leader for the party. But, uh, I mean, he, he he doesn't keep too many secrets when he's he's on the move. You know what I, I hear in Biden's voice there is I hear deep regret for what he did in Atlanta. I think it's exactly what yeah. I was thinking. And, and, and I, you know, just everything we know that happened since then, you know, he tried to go see McConnell at the Capitol. I, and, you know, obviously McConnell made the big speech saying, I've been friends with Joe Biden mm-hmm. all these years. I don't recognize yeah. my friend. I, I think I think Biden is still chagrined and in deep regret about having essentially called anyone who doesn't agree with me is a racist, is a confederate, is a white supremacist, is a member of the Ku Klux Klan, whatever. I mean, he 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 I mean, he leveled serious insults at people like Mitch McConnell that he has known and worked with for decades. And and that is I tell you, and I think I think that's what makes McConnell's floor speech so important from that day. Because he he really I, I he just he just didn't let Biden get away with it, mm-hmm. and I think I think McConnell's speech was so on point 
that he has even caused Joe Biden to second guess his own strategy on this. What what a great place for a reconciliation than a prayer bre- a bipartisan prayer <laughs> breakfast. Uh, sounds like the president found Jesus. <laughs> no, but I do think it's interesting that I, I don't think Biden is chagrined necessarily that he thinks he did the wrong thing. I think he still believes what he said. I think his feelings were hurt. And his friendship was hurt, and he values friendships and these relationships so much, he had to find some way basically to reach out in that, that, that olive branch with McConnell. Now, I, maybe he because McConnell said it, it makes a difference. Well, I think, I think the regret is in – I, I, I don't think he regrets his position on these bills. Right. I think he regrets being led down this communications road right. because yeah. that speech is so weird. If you go back and listen to it now a few weeks later and read the text, <laughs> it is so weird. That's right. But, but that is the prevailing view of your average progressive Twitter troll. And apparently they inhabit the White House speechwriting office right now. And I think the regret, honestly, is letting a bunch of progressive staffers insert language into a speech that caught, that then turned around and caused him such such emotional trauma over the relationships he damaged. So I, 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 I think the regret is he knows that was a massive F up mm-hmm. and, and he and he knows he should have been smarter than to be led down a bad path. Now, the buck stops with him, not the people who load the teleprompter, so he owns it. Speaking of messaging and problems with the Biden administration, the fact that it seems this to be— This could go anywhere. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Any policy. Like Welcome the, to the nine-hour yeah, Flyover yeah. Country podcast. <laughs> it, seemed, it seems to me that the Biden administration is ramping up for a State of the Union where he's going to announce— the end of the of basically of the pandemic as we know it and a return to normalcy and yet democratic governors across the country appear to be stepping on his message at least are getting ahead of the Biden administration by announcing that they're opening up their states ahead of him being able to say it I don't know if he's ready to end the pandemic. Uh, I think he's ready to say he's ending the pandemic. If he walks up to the rostrum wearing a mask and there's still four senators in the chamber, is that a pandemic over? You're right. I think, uh, like I just said, some of these Democrat governors are finally finding religion and deciding that, oh, maybe masks. No, no, they didn't find religion. They found their pollsters. They found poll numbers. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> they, found the, they finally answered the call from their political strategists saying – the red lights on the dashboard are currently blinking. I mean, it's it's quite obvious the memo went out. I mean, right. you had a coordinated effort by these Democrat governors and, you know, in it, deep blue states. It, it is interesting, the constellation of things that happened. These Democrat governors, and then you had sort of that constellation of public health, you know, talking heads on TV who just literally three weeks ago were screaming at all of us to keep our masks on. And now they're saying, well, the science changed. no. No, it, it really didn't. But it, it, even in reading some of these statements when they're you know, drawing down masks, they're saying, well, we're still in the middle of a pandemic and we're still closely watching for the next surge, ready to snap back as soon as they get the chance. I, I think, Joe, you're exactly right, though. I think, first of all, Biden needs a hard reset. And right. if, they have, if, if he wants if he, to, to climb out of this hole, which, by the way, is, it's not a hole of messaging. It's a hole of incompetence. And it started with Afghanistan, and once you lose that, it's hard to get it back. But they got to do something. And I assumed, I've been assuming what they wanted to do was open the State of the Union and say, you know, I'm here to report tonight to the American people that you, you may resume normal life. Right. But that is being deflated by these Democrat governors. And New but, Jersey, Connecticut, Delaware, California, right. Oregon, all planning to lift the indoor mask mandates. Now, it may be that these are trial balloons to see how these people 
in Biden's base are going to react. Because I will tell you this, there is a larger percentage than Democrats want to admit of their party that is really never going to come out of their apartments again. I mean, there is a whole bunch of those people who are all in on Biden, all in on this thing, who aren't ready to give it up. And it is a risk for Biden in that in that you are risking pissing off, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the COVID, uh, you know, uh, draconian COVID people who think we should not be at work right now, who think kids should not be in school, who think masks should be permanent. There is a huge number. Of, this is not a small group. This is a large percentage of Democrats. And so I bet the Biden folks are going to see how people are going to react to this in the states and then calibrate ahead of the of the State of the Union. Well, just look at that woman who yelled at Governor Yunkin in Virginia for not wearing a mask in the grocery store in a region where I don't think there's any mask There are mandate. no mask mandates, and yet they're screaming. I mean, but that, that read is the a, room is what she said. Uh, read that, the room. But, but that right there, that that's a base Joe Biden voter. Right, now, right. if he goes to the State of the Union and says, everything is fine, go back and re- – what, do you, what is that person going to do? I don't think mentally, emotionally, they're ready to let it go. So Jen Psaki asked about this at the White House during the press conference, the media briefing on Wednesday afternoon. Given that the CDC guideline still remains that masking is recommended in schools, if you are a parent, a teacher, a student living in a state where that is no longer recommended, should you still follow the CDC guideline? Yes. So even if the state is not requiring that you wear masks in the schools. Well, this is where we would advise any American to follow the CDC guidelines. And as Dr. Walensky said, and you, and you referenced, uh, they're, they're constantly evaluating, right? Because uh, the data is chi- changing, the science is changing, changing. it certainly is, is positive uh, that case numbers have come down, hospitalizations come down, and they look at all of that information. That's why it's also important to, to note the difference between leaders who are saying we're going to leave it up to localities, local school, school districts to make decisions. Uh, no parent who wants to send their kid with a mask should be penalized. No teacher or who wants to wear a mask should be penalized or school district who makes that choice should be penalized. Hold on, hold on just one yeah, second. Yeah, hold yeah, on, yeah, hold right. on. Yeah. No parent, I mean we just have to stop this. for. No parent should be penalized. However, however, what are we seeing in the schools? Schools are penalizing the children. Right. There was a school, uh, we'll have to look up where it was, Kevin, where they were literally taking the kids who didn't have masks, putting them in the gymnasium, and turning down the thermostat. Seriously? Look, Google, Google this during the podcast. Our, our Jared will be on it. Live they were research. Liter- they <laughs> literally put them in the gym and turned down the thermostat to freeze them out, to punish them, and I isolate them this. and segregate them from their classmates. So maybe they don't. Maybe Jen doesn't want to punish the parents because they're too busy punishing the kids. It's outrageous. I also think her message was directly uh, pointed to Stacey Abrams, who uh, hasn't decided to wear her mask yet. Jared, I'll give you one guess as to what state this happened in. Did it happen in Virginia? That did not. Uh, Cal- California. 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 Yeah. I mean, and am I right? Did I get the details right? Yep. So actually, students began protesting the face mask mandates. And so it was kind of back and forth. Um, They were uh, first sent outside, then put in this gym and they were outside and it was only 43 degrees, which is cold for California. It's cold. I mean, that's cold for California kids. (laughs) Um, But then the next day, the students were put in a large gymnasium. The doors were locked 
and barricaded, barricaded. with folding tables. Uh, there's no. a picture. Of, if you go to Twitter and, and look up the picture of barricaded doors, there is a picture. The teachers literally, yeah. literally put tables in front of the doors Ugh. to trap these kids in these there. These people are so broken. Oh, because it, they weren't wearing masks. It's insane. Law enforcement had to come do a welfare check. They had the tables removed, and the heat in the room turned back on. I'm looking at a picture now. I mean, they are so no. six, eight-foot folding tables. So no, Jen. Put. No, they're not punishing the parents because they're too busy punishing our children. It, it, it's outrageous. These of, people ought to be in jail. One of the highlight from the uh, news conference with Press Secretary Jen Psaki, ABC's uh, journalist uh, Cecilia Vega, asking about whether the CDC is still even relevant at this point. Back to masks, not to belabor it. Yeah. But, um, in, in a matter of weeks, Americans have heard the White House say masks are so important, you should get online and order yours for your family right now. Uh, you've got now this wave of states that are saying, actually, you don't have to necessarily wear masks. We're going to do away with some of these mandates. And now you've got the CDC saying its guidance stands. We're going to review things, but the guidance stands. Can you blame Americans for being confused and frustrated and having no idea who they should be listening to right now? Well, our guidance is consistently, has consistently been this. Uh, when you are in a high transmission area, which is everywhere in the country, you should wear a mask in indoor settings, including schools. Uh, there are states uh, that have uh, rolled back their mask guidelines, that have given more flexibility to communities. They're different. It's not uniform, what every state has done. Uh, and certainly, we continue to advise and recommend abiding by public health guidelines. Do you dispute that Americans are confused by what's happening? Well, I, I think we should do everything we can to prevent them from being confused. So I'm restating what our policy is here from the federal government, which is based on public health guidelines. And does the CDC run the risk of becoming irrelevant in the minds of many Americans, given that their states are moving along ahead without them? Well, I don't think the, the uh, federal uh, experts on health and medical advice should be irrelevant to Americans. That I, okay, I mean, first of all, I mean, I appreciate the question, but what do you mean run the risk? It's like, do the Pittsburgh Pirates run the risk of possibly sucking next? No, they already <laughs> suck, okay? They already suck. They already suck. The question is, why is the CDC put itself in a position? I mean, this idea that we're going to, I mean, they, they, has any institution damaged itself anymore? I mean, remember, the CD, this is one of the, like, this is something people used to look up to. And now, I mean, a joke. Yeah, well, I would question whether people always looked up to the CDC, period. I mean, they have done a lot, they've made a lot of mistakes in the last decade of you paid attention to things like vaping, that they had huge mistakes on policy on. I mean, just in the last five years, look, spoiler alert, the CDC has lost all credibility. But it, just in that question, she mentioned just the last few weeks, I think, was was her statement between go get the masks and now we're shipping you four and you can do this. Go the last two, three months. See, First, it was ma this mask. Well, maybe medical mask, then cloth mask, then two masks. Well, then no, not that mask. Then N95. It's like... Go back two months. We can't. Nobody. How could anybody follow any of this? Talk about what's fascinating. I think is the fact that the national press corps is catching up to where most of America was eighteen months ago. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. And 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 what and to them, it's, and if, this is a new revelation. It truly is. And they're not going to connect. Unfortunately, they're not going to connect or ever associate with the America of eighteen months ago because those people were backward and anti-science. What, 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 did Joe, what did Joe Biden call? Uh, he, he called Neanderthal thinking. Right. This, the, you know, just a little while ago, Joe Biden was calling this Neanderthal thinking. And now, look at all these Democrat governors. 
It's, it's just fascinating, though, with how people's opinions – and this, of course, is true and of every stripe. Your thinking changes once your thinking changes. In other words, your way of working, <laughs> looking at the world is like, oh, well, now that it matters to me or now that I can see that it affects my children – now that I can see the, the researcher, um, it's been proven to me that even though I heard about it before when the wackos were saying it, now the people who, are, who I trust are saying it, so I do believe the kids are being harmed. I have, a, I have a, a good liberal friend who I spar with on a text chain quite often. I, was, I, I texted him today. Just to quote, the science has changed, and is that you guys? You guys are the best. <laughs> and he was like, "But you don't understand. The science has changed. It's just that public health people aren't good at explaining things to lay people." And, and, and but in, right it, but in his answer to me, in his answer to me, it was like, "Well, you're just too stupid to understand." Yeah. Yeah. And that is the underlying foundation of all this. Right throughout this entire thing. There has just been this dripping condescension from all these people. You are too stupid to understand. Guess what? People out here understand flyover country, understand all too well. And the CDC confusion, the Fauci confusion, the confusion of A. Well, you know, if you go on the CDC website right now, it says do not wear a mask outside, which is good advice. And then you've got the president of the United States wandering around on beaches wearing his mask. The, the absolute confusion sown by our public health officials and our political leadership, for, politi- for all for political reasons, is absolutely a disaster for this country. I mean, the next time we have a massive problem, right. what yeah. institution is going to be looked upon to tell us the truth from the beginning? Which? Which? Who would you trust? Yeah. Who would you trust? Yeah, I'm gonna steal a line from Kevin quickly. Scott nailed it as always. There, um, <laughs> that's right. But keep I, going on that. I, I like you. I like where you're headed. <laughs> <laughs> I do think there has been just this like wild inconsistency and hypocrisy. I mean, we talked about the Stacey Abrams thing. You know, the mayor in L.A., Gavin Newsom. It's just like uh, here in in Kentucky, Governor Bashir put out this statement today about take, having a safe Super Bowl party this week. A safe I Super mean, Bowl party. Nothing about the full arenas and all. It's like the weird things that they try to micromanage that you need to focus on this, but Rupp Arena can be filled and that doesn't matter. We're not going to talk about that. But if you're going to have six people over to have nachos and watch the Super Bowl this Sunday, make sure if they're, you know, it's just like, where's, there's no messaging consistency. It's, there's hypocrisy everywhere. Most people are ready to just forget about this. Unless they have some sort of, you know, extenuating circumstances in their life that they have a pre pre-existing condition or something else. It's crazy to me the like weird messaging, the things that they care about, the things that they don't care about. LA, you know, California, the state that's putting kids in a uh, gymnasium and locking them in there is hosting the Super Bowl this weekend. The biggest sporting event Maybe in America. I mean, in the world, maybe. maybe. Yeah, potentially. I mean, you talk about people flying in. I don't, from I don't recognize the... soccer as a sporting event. But North America. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, certainly. In, I mean, it's just, but like we don't see these state. Well, ha, here's how to have a safe visit to the 80 other thousand people. You're gonna, it's just insane. I was, watching, a, no I was watching the, the Kentucky-South uh, Carolina game the other night. Of course, they had a packed arena. And at yeah. the end of that game, I flipped over because uh, Arkansas and Auburn were in overtime. And then Arkansas beat Auburn. And then, of course, <clears throat> the arena rushed the floor. And so, like, literally, and I was sitting there with my wife. We were watching it. I was like, look, not a damn mask in the entire arena. Can you imagine? And and to your point, so the average person is watching this on TV, you know, watching their sporting events saying, so there's no masks here. Yeah. And then I got Andy Bashir telling me, you know, if I'm having six folks over for potato skins, we got to wear masks. Tonight, <clears throat> it was announced that to attend the Oscars, 
no vaccines no vac- will be yep. required. Right. Right. Yep. So right. I got to strap a mask on my four year old to send him at the preschool, but these. These a-hole celebrities don't even have to get their vaccines after lecturing the rest of us for the well, last hey, two years? Yeah. It's outrageous. On uh, NewsHour with uh, Judy Woodruff, PBS, on Wednesday night, they had a health expert on there talking about the mask situation here. And, of course, this is public health, and this is a, you know, this is a different kind of approach to things. But her comment, frankly, it was at the end of the, at the, end of the, you know, the day, was that, yes, it's fine, and for most kids— they can wear masks with, without any problem whatsoever, and they're not going to be exposed. But it was less even about exposing the, the few kids who might have some uh, compromised health situation. It was basically saying, well, you don't want those kids to feel bad. So it was not it was not, and I, yeah. of course, I care about kids' feelings. Mm-hmm. I have two children. You have four children. You have a child. I don't think you have any kids yet. No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just say, the more children you have, the less you care about the, the, the group but, feelings. But, like, yes. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that, that was the comment was. It wasn't even a matter of keeping them science, keeping right. them healthy. Yeah. But here, I thought, wait a second. So you're saying that you're willing to compromise the social, mental, psychological, psychological. well-being yeah. Of an entire cohort, entire student body, an entire nation, entire nation, <laughs> for the sake of not making the kids feel peer pressure or making or putting teachers in a bad spot. Because what it boils down to is this: is there, there could be one or two kids in a classroom who their parents want them to keep wearing a mask because they feel they need that for protection from others rather than project them infecting somebody else, right? And for that reason. You're going to go ahead and 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 place this restriction on the entire world. This is equity. You, you that, can, that's what this it is. is equity. That's what it is. This is equity. This right. is we have everything has to be the same. Yeah. This is this is equity. This is the future that Joe Biden's base wants, and this is why ultimately he is going to have a hard time unwinding this because they have put so much into this whole. We're going to make everything equitable. It extends to things like this. If one person, then everybody and. And I just, the country is in revolt over this. And the fact that they're just now catching up, by by the way, I think the the political question of the day is, is anybody going to buy this? Because the Democrats are hoping, I saw Ted Lieu, you know, this Congress, I mean, just who's just insufferable, by the way, (laughs) you know, retweeting Gavin Newsom, California leading the way on, you know, getting our lives back to normal. Are voters going to buy this garbage or are people going to remember who put us in this hole and who actually wanted to get us out of it. My bet is people are going to remember and punish, but I guess it's the only thing the Democrats have to do. Kevin, what do you think? They've got to think their voters are so stupid. And I, they might be right. I don't know. Well, but... they, know them, they know them better than we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked for Donald Trump, though. That's the problem. Gaslighting works, and this is gaslighting. And, and and it goes. I'm just saying, and not on. Didn't uh, he lose a, an election? Well, I'm saying. Well, he won the first. <laughs> wow, one. well, Kevin. If Mike Pence said that, <laughs> that's true. That's a good point, Kevin. Well, I Ali. think to get back to to the RNC point too. This is why it's so important that Republicans talk about these issues that are real and Americans are caring about right now. I was talking with somebody the other day about child deaths in Kentucky from COVID. With which, first off the bat, let me say is obviously awful. Children under. Um, 15 we were talking about during the entire pan- pandemic in Kentucky i believe the latest number was 11 children under the age of 15 had died with or from covid assuming they potentially had cancer or something like that that really is what you know uh, affected them more children under the age of 15 were murdered just in the city of louisville 
last year. Just in one year, so we're talking two years versus one year, nearly double that were murdered in this city. Talk about a misallocation of resources. We have spent billions, billions of dollars on these schools, and kids are still at home, kids are still getting quarantined, st kids are still putting masks on, and we had 188 homicides in this city, record-breaking. Kevin mentioned earlier, uh, 12 cities had record-breaking years for homicide last year. Talk about a misallocation of resources. That is what Republicans should be talking about. And that's what metropolitan and suburban voters care about is those issues, crime, inflation, you know, uh, schools, those sorts of things. Get away from the January 6th nonsense. I mean, if the RNC had passed eight resolutions about all the stuff you just said, that would have been amazing. <laughs> yes. It wouldn't have gotten any news coverage, but at least they would have been thinking right. On, on this point about the, the actual raw statistics, uh, David Linhart in the New York Times the other day wrote, right now, children have a statistically much, much higher chance of dying in a car accident yeah. Oh, sure. Than yeah. they do of of coronavirus, and so the, the 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 measures that we've taken at a at a national scale on one, but when the the raw data does not back up the actual risk factors of our lives, it this is what's driving everybody nuts. And so when Jen stands at the podium and is just completely tripling, quadrupling down on masks in schools. People hear this, and they, they inherent people are not stupid. They inherently know the risks are low, but the risks are high for other things. You emphasize this, but not that. They are absolutely banking on the idea that people are stupid. But I just I don't think people are dumb. People are actually following this pretty darn close, and that's why folks are in revolt. And it's ultimately why these Democrat governors, who are a little bit closer to the electorate, are doing what they're doing. I suspect there'll be more in the next seven days. I also just want to mention very briefly, it's very funny to me as a, a Bay Stater growing up in Massachusetts that Charlie Baker gets lumped in with the Democrat governors. Oh, uh, he Sorry, also, yes, yes, yes. during this same week, uh, <laughs> announced that February 28th, I think Massachusetts schools will get rid of Matt. It's just very funny to me he gets lumped in with Democrats. Right. Let's be fair. You know, I mean, I've, been spending, I've been spending time in your home state, and I you know, I go up there every Monday to teach my class at the Harvard Kennedy School, which, by the way, it's been great fun to be back in the classroom. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we all got to wear a mask. And so you lecture for three hours wearing a friggin' mask. These things, it's 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 like screaming into a bucket. Every, every kid in the class is vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. They're testing, I think, the kids three times a week. Seriously. Every time I step foot on campus, I have to get a test. And so it, it is It is really, I mean, I, I, there's probably not a town in America more vaccinated than Cambridge, I'm guessing. Yeah. But the amount of energy and resources and time being spent on, it, it's it's really kind of a fast, because you, you compare that culture to what we all experience out here in, in middle America. It, it, one, one of the most fascinating studies about all this is going to be how people in middle America experience this That's right. versus how people in, in well, blue states and big cities experience And I think going back to my uh, defense of some people who marched toward the Capitol, uh, not going in. <laughs> wow, <laughs> man. There's our cold open. <laughs> <Golly>. <laughs> Didn't go in. My point being is this, is that there are people who have been brainwashed on a number of levels, on a number of, of sides of all of this. And I think that there should be some patience and understanding for the people who have been misled throughout this whole COVID situation. And the people, because th this is a rude awakening for them that they're going through right now. And, I, and, and for that matter, I also think that people should be patient with people. If somebody wants to wear a mask or wants their children to wear a mask, or, for whatever, they should be. But there are some people who are, who, because it's all been weaponized, who want to yell and wag their finger 
at people on both sides of this. So I'm saying set a good example. If you are somebody who believes in freedom and liberty and who believes that we that this COVID um, mandates have been have been, uh, you know, hogwash. But have some patience for the people who want to exercise their own protections. Patience and charity to the individual, yes. But the politicians who continue forcing this on people, even when the science says it's hogwash, they deserve to be punished. I think I think the issue, though, Joe, is a great many people who who this is a rude awakening and they continue to want to participate in this. They don't just want to individually participate. Mm-hmm. I think their impulse is to impose. I agree. Mm-hmm. And so, and so what you're saying is we should have patience for them. I agree. But I think where people have become impatient is I don't want those folks to impose their views on me just because they can't snap out of it. That is, my, my point is no one should be wagging their finger and no one should be yelling at someone for their decision about whether to wear a mask or not. Are you talking about personal responsibility? I and, am. Uh, but I'm but, <laughs> but, radical but you ideas? Know, not, the problem is everything's been weaponized. And I don't know when we're going to be able to get out of this. I mean, it's this. People have the, people have staked their claims. They have they have planted their flags. It, it, it is interesting that and and I don't know how you would ever quantify this. I've said this for many months now. I, we are living through the biggest mental health event right mm. in American history. I agree. And 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 as much as COVID took a physical toll on so many, and it is absolutely true that it did. The mental toll that it has taken on. I mean, some people are are broken over this. And cannot snap out of it. And and some people, you know, uh, on the other end of the spectrum have been broken by it. It is, I mean, people laying, dying in hospitals, you know, being interviewed saying, you know, I'd rather die than get a vaccine. I mean, the, 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 the brokenness, the, the mental health event here is so drastic. And, and I think even before this, we already had so much undiagnosed mental illness in this country, or untreated mental illness. It, it makes me fear for the for the overall well-being of the average, you know, American who may be going th- through something here and needs help, but they're never going to get it, or probably won't get it, and that, you know, that 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 degrades their future. I mean, it, it puts an anvil on their future possibilities, and it, it is a sad thing. We need some galvanizing moment for everyone to come together. Now, I am not Jared, a big NFL fan anymore. After. The Stan Kroenke and the Rams completely screwed over St. Louis, yeah. and of course they lost the loss, or they settled the Don't lawsuit. The Liverpool for, people hate Kroenke too. Don't they do. They? I mean, yeah. everyone that that, that he's that he touches this is an anti-Stan Kroenke podcast. Indeed, indeed. So I don't really care about the NFL anymore. Now that said, I do think that those two big, actually the two weekends worth of NFL games. There, there, there was this little glimmer of because sports does have a, of a way of kind of breaking down some barriers of people who otherwise wouldn't talk to each other, and a lot of people, if there was water cooler conversation, maybe on Zoom or phone <laughs> or on Twitter, people seem to be kind of juiced about that an idea like, oh, here's something we can actually talk about and not have weaponized. So maybe, maybe the Super Bowl is an opportunity for America to have. Like press the pause button, all crap for about three hours. And how how watch are all it the people in the stadium going to stand holding their breath <laughs> for five or six hours? Because my assumption no, is that's now the, that's now the prevailing COVID prevention measure, according to the mayor of Los Angeles. Hold yeah. your breath. So I this, was this trying is be, this is to have a galvanizing moment. <laughs> this, this is well, are, they, this again. They are going to be galvanized as they all uh, pass out from holding <laughs> their breath. They'll all be dead from not breathing, but at least they won't have coronavirus. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be crazy out there. Yeah. You're right. When the Bengals win, 
the whole nation can come together and celebrate Who Day. You got the Bengals. Who do you got? Oh, my heart says Bengals. <laughs> my head says Rams. I'll go Bengals. I I'll be. I have watched fewer than. 30 seconds of the NFL <laughs> for the last three years. So I'll, I'll be for the Bengals because they're, they're the flyover, flyover country, country team. Yeah. They're yeah. America's team. So I'm going to be for the Bengals, but uh, I'm not – don't bet on anything I say. <laughs> and general Cincinnati fans drive me crazy when I go up there as a Cardinals fan. But, you know, in, in this yeah. – I'll make an exception here for flyover country as well. We'll say go Bengals for the Super Bowl here coming up. All right. It's a Bengals podcast. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Go I Bengals. And more actually more than this – but may the Rams lose. You know, <laughs> me being embarrassing, just just terrible, terrible loss for the Rams. Are they making they the players it. hold their breath while they're playing? I mean, it would be hard to hold your breath. Only when you're like, on offense. I mean, yeah. it, it's really – I mean, I'm just yeah. thinking about all the people who have to hold their breath in Los Angeles. And if I were running down the football field and holding my breath, that would be quite an athletic feat. I, I do think there is – I think I don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast or, Joe, we were just kind of talking about it. Joe Burrow's, like, post-game interview a couple weeks ago – Stand six feet six feet away from the CBS guy, and they do their little thing, and they just do the fist bump at the end, and then the camera is seemingly supposed to cut away, and it doesn't, and they dap each other up and hug each other. Of and course, like, I mean it. Just I do I do wish that the media would you know uh, the NFL countdown or whatever would put the chairs closer back together and all those sorts of things. I hope you you'll start to see some some media. Get rid of these these kind of silly, ridiculous things that they do. Has, has America ever been in, more invested in social theater mm. than we are right now? I mean, we there are so many people who are invested in this ridiculous theater, and it's not because they think they're curing COVID. It's because they think they're curing themselves of social ostracization. And that's yeah, it. I mean, they, that, that, that's that, it, yeah. what they did on TV is their vaccine against being crapped upon on yeah. social on media. Twitter. I mean, the, that's yeah. it. Right. The yeah. kids who are currently being locked in the gym with the heat turned down <laughs> are going to be the ones making movies about this generation in about twenty years, and they're going to vilify all you. Oh yeah, and they're going to say this is this, this is a horrible. I can't horrible believe thing. it. They locked him in the gym. <laughs> I still, I still cannot saying, believe it. These are the people. They're going to. They're going to. There'll be so much ridicule they of this better, generation. They, they got better. By board. the ones who are growing up right now, but you ruined us. Now that all that having been said, I've been very critical of this school. I sort of think Biden should hire them to take over the southern border because it's obvious. <laughs> it's obvious they are doing a better job of barricading people than we are on the southern border. So maybe there's a utility for these people in, in public uh, life right that now. That might be a international disaster. I mean, that's the close, to, a, yeah, yeah, say, close to torture. I mean, they, I mean, they're going to build a wall out of folding tables. <laughs> right. We're going to keep out the drugs, keep out the cartels, these school administrators in California. Yeah. We want to hear from you uh, on Twitter, <laughs> at the Flyover Pod. At the Flyover Pod. Please send us your comments. We look forward to hearing from you. My name is Joe Arnold. I'm the host of your roundtable version of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Whoa, with- whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Yeah. Are we doing Seen Red Herd? Oh, okay. I've no, got a good one. Oh, I just, I just wanted to comment on something. I, I, okay. I wanted everybody to do it because right. I, I wanted to do it. Seen Red Herd. Kevin Grout. All right. So I, I frequently find myself on the New York Times obituary page. <laughs> Not because I'm looking for anyone in particular. What? Wait, like you're like oh, about, about yourself? <laughs> yeah. No, just paging through. It is far and away the best quality writing in the paper. And you really get to read about some amazing American story. Stories of people from around the world, but I uh, American stories. And I read today John Rice Irwin from Tennessee passed away recently. He preserved the mountain heritage in the Museum of Appalachia 
uh, died in his 90s. He opened the museum in 1969 to really show off the creativity and the wit and the hard scrabble life of the people of Appalachia. He won a MacArthur Foundation grant to put this together. 100,000 people visit this museum every year. Uh, one of the things that they've got there is a fiddle made out of a garden hoe and a cigar box. Wow. Uh, just wow. sounds... And where is it? It's, it's in uh, Tennessee. Tennessee, all right. Um, just sounded like an absolutely great place. This guy, he had a lot of jobs in his life, but he, he, he just was sad seeing so much of his people's heritage being sold off at estate sales and he wanted to bring it all together. Amazing. Great. Great call out, Kevin. Thank you. Well played. I'm glad you're not on the obituary page. (laughs) Not today. (laughs) Not today. That's really good. Still a bit concerning that you peruse the obituary page, but nonetheless, um, uh, my scene slash red slash heard, um, New numbers this year uh, came out on the U.S. trade deficit, which is one of the things that the Trump administration harped on a lot. Hit a record again last year. Um, we talk a lot about uh, trade policy and, and uh, trade deficits and tariffs and all these sorts of things, which was by far, I think, the worst uh, position of the Trump administration. But to get back to Senator McConnell, steadfast on opposition to tariffs and those sorts of things. Just a quick reminder that trade deficits don't matter. It, it is this arbitrary thing. I mean, it's, it could not. There was a bunch of articles this week. I think Heritage wrote a bunch of pieces and all these uh, sorts on it. Um, a reminder that trade deficits just aren't real. Oh, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I, I, I know. I knew it was boring. Uh, I knew it was boring, but uh, it's just one of these things that has always uh, annoyed me. We could get into more on, on how to affect. You're right. Kentucky. We, we do and, not and, need and to now, get into more. And now it annoys me. Okay. Well, right. <laughs> if you care, it, here's what I'll say: If you care about Kentucky bourbon, you should care about uh, tr- uh, trade, trade wars and, and tariffs and those sorts of things. That's why I tend to keep up on on this and. And when these numbers came out, I was intrigued. He also has a lot of insomnia and needs to go to bed tonight. (laughs) I do want to talk to you maybe next podcast about deficit spending and about this new monetary policy about that's a whole other story. Uh, My steam red herd would be the scientists in the United Kingdom that have announced they more than doubled the previous record for generating and sustaining nuclear fusion. A nuclear fusion, of course, is when you're fusing the atoms together rather than right now fission is what you use to create nuclear power right now, which is by dividing the atom. The point being is that fusion doesn't produce the radioactive waste. Mm. So it's just an exciting, perhaps it might take 50 years. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this what Dr. Octopus did in the Spider-Man movie that sort of caused him to have his microchip shattered and we went on a crazy crime spree? I think it's what he was trying to do. I believe you should say spoiler alert. (laughs) Well, first of all, this movie came out like 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So Joe will see it in 10 years. in the room, that means spoiler alert. I have no idea. But yes, but but I like like technological uh, advances like that. So fusion could be going forward. Is this not the like big... The big donut. Collider, hydro. It's not quite it? the collider, but it is a different kind of a, a joke. The power a of the sun in the palm of my hand. <laughs> but it's That's like what he says in the movie. Yeah. Two atoms moving at light speed, and they have to hit directly or something. That could be it. I don't know. It could be the, the hydro making this. Up. I just know it happened in the UK. My yeah. God, you guys. I know we like, cannot. Well, have show just, America's not even winning science <laughs> anymore. <laughs> what the is your science? We, the we, science? We've abandoned science for the science. I have two actually. One is. Book of Boba Fett uh, episode, final episode of the season. I mean, amazing. Really great. And I would just like to say, I am going to say spoiler alert. However, Boba Fett riding a rancor through the town, eating folks. 
I mean, absolutely bonkers. So great job to Disney yeah. on that. And then reading, I start, I picked up the uh, Jeremy Peters, New York Times Jeremy Peters book, Insurgency, this week, which is off to a, an amazing start. I, I'm a, a, a couple of chapters in, so I'm going to finish that up, and I'll give you all a book report. So there's my, there's my scene in my red. <laughs> so I caught up on Mandalorian and then watched the finale before we, we came in tonight. Yep. It became oh. The Mandalorian. Uh, or, or I was gonna it say, had I become the Mandalorian. There, yeah, it had become the Mandalorian. Um, if, talk about lean, again. I'll try to stay away from spoilers a little bit, but leaning into the the sort of Star Wars lore, if you've ever cared to see characters more build out the sort of universe that they, I mean, it's just phenomenal. I just want to see more Rancors. Well, well. Also, one of the things they explored was the trade deficit Tatooine had. <laughs> with some of the other planets, and I mean, it really, really was super interesting. The prequels <laughs> were founded on trade negotiations I know. Well, I know. People and complex Senate uh, procedures. So, my, Mitch McConnell really, really <laughs> was a great screenwriter. Yeah. So, my, my wife is not a big Star Wars fan, but she was just listening today, and they mentioned the spice, and she goes, Dune? Because she knows oh, Dune. Yeah. And I said, well, Lucas was inspired a lot by Dune, Dune yeah. and those were sort of the original sci-fi novels. Dune is like my and Joe, Joe's podcast because Dune is very much like international or interstellar politics and trade deficits and political negotiations. Star Wars has a little bit of that, but way more lightsabers and gun battles and Western. They probably should have stayed more with the lightsabers. You know, they also yeah. introduced, uh, I mean, I know we're way over on this one, but I just, <laughs> I love Star Wars. You know, they also, the last couple episodes, they introduced a terrific character from the Clone Wars, yeah. which was Cad Bane. Yeah. And the effects around that were really, really terrific. Yeah. So it was kudos for them. And then they announced today that uh, I guess the Obi Wan Kenobi series is going to start yes. on May twenty fifth. Yeah. So they, yeah. their whole Star Wars con- build out has just been so it's been a really a thing of beauty. So yeah. Joe, Joe's checking his phone. He's like yeah. he has no idea what is happening. If right people, I <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. If people are fans of The Mandalorian and now fans of Book of Boba Fett, and you don't know who who Cad Bane is. Just read like a Wikipedia page about him oh, because he is—he's a cool-looking oh, character. Oh, like the character he is like is, striking. Like you think, you know, Boba Fett is cool and kind of like a badass. Cad Bane is that almost like times ten in some of the Clone Wars episodes. So, yeah, it's sort get of like, read up on him too because he's—he's only in it for a little bit and you don't get to experience really kind of how tough and he's like sort of like him up on Wikipedia. He's like right Clint now. Eastwood, oh, like mixed yeah. with a. Smurf sort of, but I mean, yeah. the attitude is all Eastwood. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. outrageous. Very good. So why were two episodes of the Book of Boba Fett mostly about the Mandalorian? They, well, they've, they've, they've dovetailed the two stories yeah. of these guys together. and uh, But it's smart because everybody loved the Mandalorian. Everybody loved Baby Yoda. Yeah. They've, they've, they've just put all these characters together. And it's all happening at the same time on the same world. So it made a lot of sense. Well, the other question I have is, what will we see when Luke and Ashoka <laughs> meet? Who? Luke and a, a, a shot. <laughs> get off of Wikipedia. Oh. Get, turn your turn your laptop oh, down. I don't know what this Ahsoka. is. Ahsoka. Ahsoka. Ahsoka Tano. Yeah. Will we see when Luke and Ahsoka met? They already met. Yeah. We well, saw we see, already. We saw already. Okay. Yeah. So you're, even curious. even your even your research. What about this Cobb Vanth <laughs> character? The the marshal yeah, of Freetown. Is Cobb yes. Vanth dead? No. Spoiler alert. Right. No, he's wow. not dead. Well, and what's up with the twins? You know the twins. Twins? Now you Is this how me. you wrote your questions as a reporter? <laughs> I'm reading Gizmodo. I have no idea what these people are. <laughs> I feel right. like we could All do right. ten more in minutes on this. Because in right. the show. 
Please uh, tweet your Boba Fett Mandalorian <laughs> uh, questions to at the Flyover Pod at the Flyover Pod on Twitter. Let us know what you think about the program. We appreciate you being here today. For Jerry Crawford, Kevin Grout, Scott Jennings, I'm Joe Arnold. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Five-star reviews will help us keep making the content that you love. To find my latest television hits, columns, and other commentary, go to scottjenningsky.com. And you can also find me at scottjenningsky on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening, and talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure your seat backs and folding trays are in their full, upright position. Cabin crew, please take your seats for landing, and thank you for choosing Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. 